Hey, podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual Biblical Symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8-9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Benton for a live recording of the Bible's Literature Podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at ephesusschool.org. You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Today, Father Paul will cover Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, and he'll deal with the link between darkness and the waters. Just as the waters function as the enemy, so too does darkness. When Father Paul talks about creation, he talks specifically about making functional. So I want the listeners to pay attention to how Father Paul distinguishes between creation, which in our mind can go into a nothingness and then creating out of nothingness and spinning in that direction. But instead, Father Paul focuses on making functional. There already are those things that are non-functional, and God makes them functional. God is making the earth functional by confronting the waters, and this week by confronting darkness. There is no middle ground between light and dark, and Father Paul will explain how this split is not just a curiosity of chapter 1 of Genesis, but referential for the entire scriptural tradition, and this is the first time that we hear it. So I am very happy to introduce Father Paul on Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Last time I spoke about especially verse 2, and I said that it's independent. It start verse 1 of Genesis 1 is like the title of this chapter and of the entire scripture. And then, in spite of the fact that both the heavens and the earth are mentioned, which is the totality of everything in the eyes of the people in those times. That's how they expressed it, the heavens and the earth. But obviously the concentration is on the earth for a very simple reason that the heavens, as I said, is the domain of God or the gods. Even I mentioned again last time that the birds that say that they fly against the heavens, the sky, and so on, but they have to land on earth. The only thing is that the denizens of the waters, you know, do not have to worry about that. As I mentioned later in the flood, Noah does not have any of the sea animals in his ark. But the earth... Clearly, it's because the addressees of Scripture are the human beings with the animals and the vegetation and the birds. But the addressees, actually, those who listen to 
the message are the human beings and the earth is their basis. Later, we shall see that it is referred to as the dry land. Actually, in the original, it means the solid, both dry land. And that is very important because at the beginning, as we shall see, we have the tohu and bohu. In other words, the earth is not functional. And then we have the mention of the darkness, which is very important. And I said last time that the human being, the animal, function during the day, you know, and then they sleep at night. They need to have extra light, fire, and so on. It's not natural. The natural is to live, function during the day. And then we have the waters, which are very threatening. So the link between darkness and waters is very important. So waters are the enemy, as we shall see, the enemy of the cities. The flood later will be something not good. And God will have to push some of the waters aside to let the earth come up. Meaning, and that is very hard for my hearers, especially in the West, to absorb that is because we were trained in Alexandrian theology that God created ex nihilo. In the book of Genesis, technically, you cannot find a text in Genesis that God is creating the waters or the darkness. These two elements are already there. And God technically has to push them aside to make or create the elements that allow the human being and the animals to be functional. Let's go back to this. So let's hear it and not jump and quote another text from I don't know where. And so that's not the way one hears scripture. Because when you do that, it's because already you have been impacted by Plato and Alexandria, and you want to force essentials or topics that are in your mind, you want to force them on the text and look at the sentences here and there. But in Genesis 1, and this is how one begins to listen to Scripture, one doesn't jump to the third psalm and the 73rd, and I know. The earth was without form and void, darkness went on the face of the deep, and we talked about that, and the Spirit of God was moving over the first. And God intervenes in verse 3, where he says, let there be light. Okay, darkness is mentioned before the deep, so the first element is light, then the deep and the waters later on we shall see. And by the way, God is going to take his time, three days to bring about earth and the vegetation. As I mentioned in my commentary, it's half of the six days. <laughs> his whole effort is to bring about earth, the mother of everything that lives on it. Uh, to keep this in mind, very important, mother earth. So in verse 3, we hear God saying, let there be light, and there was light. 
So notice, one more time, we have the mention of the darkness and the waters that were already there without the intervention of God. God intervenes, if you like, to make the positive side of the reality that will make the human being and the animals functional. So let there be light, very important. And God saw that the light was good. Interesting that we shall hear this expression time and again in Genesis 1. But the first time we hear the text saying that God saw that what he made notice was good. So for the hearer, it sounds that it's something positive. That's what the good is. Later in the Psalms, we shall hear that the rain is good because you need it for the vegetation. And God separated the light from the darkness. Very important. So there is light that is not darkness and darkness that is not light. And this opposition, by the way, is so essential. One more time. It's the first opposition that you hear about in Scripture. And it's going to rule the entire Scriptures, all the way down to the New Testament, where you have even extreme texts about children of light and children of darkness. Okay, so it's a reference to the good and the evil, notice in Thessalonians, those who get drunk, get drunk at night and so on and so forth. And the thieves come at night. And uh, so we have really to discard, make, make the effort as soon as possible. Remember my students, how many times they heard when you spit three times during baptism, you are spitting on Plato, period. Okay, just discard everything and begin to listen to the scriptural text. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. Okay, very heavy word. Let's comment on it because, I mean, obviously, what I'm going to say is not in the mind of the hearer at this point. But later, the hearer, remembering that verb that is very early on in the Bible, will appear when God will speak about separating his people from the other nations. Put something special aside. That is the famous verb, hibdil. So, again, I'm making the aside so that my hearers would understand the importance of these words. But one doesn't need to go deep into this issue now. It doesn't matter. What matters is that that verb hibdil is mentioned the first time in conjunction with two fully opposites, light, darkness. Okay, totally fully opposites, and God is separating them. They cannot be 
at the same time. So let's not talk about dawn and so on and gray areas. That's philosophy. When there is light, there is no darkness. Let's go to the famous candle. Okay, when you light a candle in the room, then there is light. There is no more darkness around this light. So let's not play games with that. And this is what will allow later this metaphor to be applied on our choice to be on the side of light or on the side of darkness, on the side of God or on the side of the evil. It's total opposition. And this, one more time, separation between the two is the action of God and God alone. And that will be the trouble of Adam and Eve when they wanted to figure out things for themselves. <laughs> this is not what Genesis 1, 2, 3 is telling you. So slowly on, hopefully my hearers will get into the mood of Genesis 1, 2, 3 to understand what is referred to later as the sin of disobedience of the human being. They wanted to be obedient to their thoughts and worse to the thoughts of a third party, the serpent, and not to God. Let's jump to Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. Okay. So, Again, let's keep in mind this verb, hibdil, separated the two. And notice another curveball in verse 5 is that although earlier the darkness was first and then came the light, you would expect that God would call the darkness and then he would call the light. But notice how the priority was given to the light. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Very powerful. So, the primary darkness was relegated in, or is relegated in verse 5, because it's throughout the entire Bible. To position two, God gave precedence to the one that appeared later. Now, let me make a jump again, but please do not rush. Oh, I like that theologizing. I'm doing it for your sake, the hearers, to see the importance of that, not to get excited and then decide to write a paper. And uh, now, first of all, you have to understand what scripture is saying. And once you do that, you realize that papers are not needed anymore because papers are your concoction. God called the light day. So the author is using these words that are known to the people. You have day and night. During the day, you have light. At night, you have darkness. And the darkness he called night. Another thing which is very important is that that verb calling, which again we're going to meet soon very often and it will take its importance at the end of chapter 4. Remember, chapters 1 through 4 are the first unit, the Toledot of the heavens and the earth. With chapter 5, 
we have another unit, which is the Toledot of Adam. Calling is very important, and soon we're going to find it in the following chapter, where Adam would call, name the animals. And this is very important in scripture in the ancient Near East. And technically, practically, it's very important. Like, how do you refer to things? By their name. Imagine that every time you have to say elephant, you have to go to the zoo, take a picture or show the picture and so on, and or bring an elephant to the classroom. It becomes ridiculous. At one point, when you say elephant, the hearer can see even more than mentally, can see. That's what elephant is. So the name reflects, I know I almost tripped and said the essence of the thing. I don't like that word, you know, but it reflects the reality of the matter you are referring to. And when Adam calls the animals with different names, this is to differentiate between them. So I'm appealing to a text which goes to appear soon. Again, the original hearers did not need these extra comments I'm making. But it's important for me that my hearers, who are used to that philosophical world, to realize that everything is practical, real, realistic. Still, the real thing is that the day was not there and the night was not there. The darkness was there, but the night was not in that specific sense. It came real when God gave it a name. In other words, it became functional. And this is God that is behind all that. Perhaps you would like to quote me on that. God created functionality. <laughs> That's why everything has a meaning. Not because you as a human being gives it a meaning. In this particular case, it is God. So you have the day that has priority and then the night. Now, when you read the second part of five, you realize the importance of the priority given to the light slash day over darkness slash night. Because in the second part... <laughs> The verse says, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. It is as though the author is telling you that I am aware that I just said that darkness was already there. But still, he uses two different words, evening and morning. So we have technically four words here. Light, night, slash, day, darkness. Then there was the evening 
and there was mourning. And it's very intelligent perceptive because to speak about the evening, you assume already a day, it's the end of the day. And the morning is the end of the night. So this second part of verse 5 is very impressive to my ears. <laughs> He's still giving precedence to the day, the light, over the night. To put it otherwise, you have to get to the following morning to finish the day, which is in all our languages also 24 hours. So even this shows you that everything is perceived from the perspective of what is positive slash functional for you. Why is it in all languages you don't call the 24 period night? <laughs> Because it's nonsensical. You call it a day. So let's keep this in mind and really teach it very early. Train the children the way you train them in their daily life. Don't bring theology very quickly at the age of two. Just continue speaking to them a language that they understand. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.